Hello, and welcome back to Art and Mount Holyoke College Art Museum's student-run podcast that discusses not just the art on the walls, but its interdisciplinary connections. My name is Molly Wolforth, and I'm a student guide and curatorial intern here at the museum. And in this episode, I'm joined by Professor Desmond Fitzgibbon, whose spring 2019 course, The Histories of Money, inspired the fall 2019 exhibition, Money Matters, Meaning, Power, and Change in the History of Currency. Join us as we discuss the universality of money in human history, the interconnection of image and the power of currency, and the genesis of this exhibition. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today, Professor Fitzgibbon. And I just wanted to start to think about how this class came about. So what was your thinking behind creating the History of Money class and thinking about it in conjunction with the museum? It's a really good question. Um, I started, I think the first time I taught this class was in... 2013, and I'd been here for about a couple of years, and a lot of my research interest is concerned with questions of economic life, but from a kind of cultural history perspective. So I'd put together a course on the history of money, starting with a fairly small frame around the history of money in modern Britain, which is my kind of research field, and even more small (laughs) history of, of, of money in Britain within the period that I'm familiar with, so mm-hmm. kind of late 17th century to the present. And it was in, the, in, the, in presenting that course that um, I can't remember whose idea it was to come and visit the museum, to just kind of see a variety of money objects. But it was at that visit that I, uh, the museum staff pointed out that they had a lot of money more, from more than just this kind of very narrow perspective of the, of the period. And a lot of the questions I was asking in that course weren't particularly um, related with British history or even the modern period, because what interests me about money has always been a kind of broader set of questions around its social, cultural, uh, and political context. So trying to push beyond stories of money that take it as a kind of self-evident feature of, 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 the, of economic life, um, or something that's kind of wrapped into a story, an inevitable story of, of modern development. I was always interested in thinking about money in a much more kind of um, diverse set of social and historical circumstances. So it made sense to broaden it beyond um, British history. And it was after that course that I sat down with um, Alan and Aaron uh, and the museum staff um, to really rethink how one might approach the history of money um, by focusing on the objects themselves. And since then, this is now, this last spring was I think the fourth time we've done it with the museum. And it's been fantastic. It's just broadened and gotten more and more diverse in terms of the objects um, that we've worked with over time. Thinking about the variety of the objects that you use, the history of money does seem kind of broad, and that's something you've acknowledged. Like the museum has holdings that span time, it seems like. Um, so where does the course sort of begin? Um, what sort of objects are you looking at? And then sort of where does it end up? What's sort of mm-hmm. the conclusions you are coming to? Money is such a fascinating institution. Um, and it's interesting how if you look at a lot of the, the histories of money um, that have been published and, and a lot of the research on money, a lot of approaches to thinking about money, um, there's often not a recognition of just how complicated a human institution it is. So there's often a desire to want to reduce money to a single kind of story. 
Um, what we know when we look at kind of the history of money and all of its various circumstances, though, is that it's both um, as ubiquitous in human experience as, say, an institution of, of human coupling um, or, or, or human experiences with death. We, we know that, that practice, money, money practices or the abstract conceptualization of measuring value has been with us for, for thousands and thousands of years. And so um, the course really goes as far back um, as we can take it with some of the objects we have in the museum. And very recently, we've started to take a look at some of the um, objects that from, um, from ancient Babylon, Sumerian um, cuneiform tablets uh, that in, in our collection start around 3000 to 2500 BC, uh, which essentially take us back to some of the, this is before a time when coined money existed at all, but when, at a time when ideas of measuring and recording um, debts and credits uh, and various forms of, of, of accounting practices uh, were being developed by um, uh, within temple communities of, of ancient Babylon. Um, and we have clay tablets that record various ways of measuring values. So we, we talk a lot about, or we begin the course by thinking about conceptually uh, what is money, where does it begin as a way of kind of registering debt and credits. Some scholars take that conversation even further back than, than ancient Babylon, but that's where we can start to have conversations around objects in the museum. And it ends, um, well, it would end as far as I'd, could take it if I could convince the museum to buy a Bitcoin, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't managed to be able to convince them to do that yet. Um, but generally speaking, we, we kind of conclude the course around stories of um, national currencies, national money in the 19th century, and some of the debates around um, what it means to have sovereign currency. Mm -hmm. So in the 19th century, um, the emergence of national money was accompanied by um, questions about free banking and, and should the state have control over money as well as articulations of various forms of local currency. And those debates kind of continue today around questions of digital currency or local currency. So there's a way to kind of bring those conversations right up to the present in terms of thinking about how we imagine money in the future. Thinking about the question of you know, how money has is kind of a ubiquitous thing, do we have examples of money from different geographic places that are happening concurrently, um, thinking maybe about, you know, do we see things happening in the, not the West in conjunction with things that are happening in the West? That's a good question. Um, obviously, one of the challenges of teaching a course that's based on a certain collection of objects mm. is that once you adopt the frame of that we're going to, and this course is very much like this, where each week we are looking at money stuff, different objects that kind of um, uh, contain within them aspects of, of, of the institution of money. So we're kind of somewhat confined by the history uh, and legacy of the institution we're in, uh, which in this case means that we have quite a, a substantive collection of Greek and Roman um, numismatics, so coin objects from Greek and, Greek and Roman period, as well as medieval Europe. Uh, in early modern Europe. So uh, we begin, we, we do spend a lot of time with those materials, and in fact, one of the challenges for me as a modern historian was to recognize the need to really go mm -hmm. further back in time, which is where a lot of our objects are from. But certainly there's a huge student demand 
for thinking beyond Europe uh, and beyond the kind of well, Anglo-European Atlantic world in terms of histories of money. And we, we can do that in, we, we do do that in a couple of respects and we're certainly hoping to do it more in the future as we kind of continue to think about acquisitions for this collection. Um, probably one of the most interesting sessions in the course, certainly in my experience with students, uh, has been uh, a conversation around the emergence of what is arguably the first global currency, which is the Spanish eight real uh, silver currency um, that emerges from New World uh, silver mining in kind of the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries. And we have a number of objects that tell the story of the transformation of silver uh, into new forms of coined money. So we begin that discussion by actually looking at a very few number of samples we have in the institution of um, gold that has uh, of pre-Columbian gold, um, so pieces that kind of show the use of this metal in South American cultures prior to contact with Europeans. And then we go beyond that to look at um, the, the mining of silver in Central and South America and the shipping of that silver in coined form back into Europe. That's, of course, a fairly typical story of European conquest. Uh, but what's interesting is that the story of the eight real piece is actually very much a global one because the, the, money, the eight real coins, the silver that was, that was extracted by European powers and brought into Europe, didn't actually stay there for very long. Um, vast bulks of it were, were, were continued to move throughout an emerging global economy that connected South Asia and East Asia with new, um, well, with trade routes um, that were connecting kind of trade. So we have a number of, for example, eight real pieces that have been marked um, through their journey, um, marked by various uh, merchants and um, money traders in South Asia and East Asia. And a number of these, so a number of these coins have the image of the Spanish monarch as they were minted in Europe, but then they've been kind of overstamped with mm. this kind of traveling story of global, um, global trade and movement. And so for students, I've had a number of really fantastic moments in the classroom where students are able to look at these coins. And actually, I've had some students who can actually read some of these Chinese chop marks. This is the, t the term that's used to refer to these markings. And can kind of tell a story that's much more global than just the European story of, the, of, of, of kind of European, the European economy. So there's interesting ways in which we can think about money moving through, um, through um, different parts of the world uh, in the early modern period. We do also continue to try and acquire more money objects from other cultures, um, some of which uh, we've just recently acquired and we haven't yet integrated them into the course, but we are also thinking about um, ways to think about the story of money beyond that, that kind of institutional collection. This example of the overstamped coins I think is really interesting mm. and ties into my next question. You wrote about, uh, for the museum's blog in 2017, how people now tend to view in sort of our contemporary age of like credit cards, they view money as something that's purely functional. Um, but you point out in your article that hasn't always been the case. So how has the material and artistry of money been considered in the past? Yeah, it's really interesting how rarely we look at our money today and how money has become uh, invisible to us in the modern period. We, we, we have change that sometimes sits in our pockets or, as you say, switching to various forms of digital or credit monies. Um, 
credit cards are not nearly as interesting to look at as, <laughs> as <laughs> no, coins or, or bills might have been in the past. But of course, um, the history of money tells us that, that well, I, and I would say that that's not even necessarily true today. You can read some pretty interesting um, histories and social relationships, even in something as simple as a credit card. But certainly in the past, money was a much more powerful vehicle of, for communication. Um, so one of the things we look at in the course is the political and social context for money. Um, so for example, the money itself has very often um, contained some reference to sovereign authority, the authority of the person who, of the, of the king, the monarch, the state, that actually makes, uh, creates money in the first place. So it's always provided a kind of vehicle for communicating and expressing relations of power, sovereign authority, control over various kind of state territories. But I also, in that blog and even in the course, we also talk about other ways in which money tells the stories of dynasties, um, various kings and queens wanting to kind of mark their authority, um, their reference by reference to their to the past, and even sometimes by reference to the future. Um, money is al always contained uh, histories uh, or references to, for example, biblical authority, um, references to landscape, various forms of social values. So the kinds of things that have helped kind of construct societies and meaningful societies in the past often show up on the surface of money objects. Another thing that I'm really interested in money, though, is the way in which money can sometimes record um, other conversations of value. We were talking a second ago, or before the interview started, about um, the use of money by British suffragettes in the late 19th century. Uh, and one of the tactics that were used by suffragettes was to take um, currency and deliberately deface it by, by stamping, for example, votes for women over the face mm. of the sovereign. So money has, as much as money has always been a vehicle for kind of conveying political authority and power, it's also provided a surface or a space in which to challenge authority in various historical contexts by by rewriting the political narrative that's on money. So I'm really interested in those kinds of stories as well. Yeah. So thinking about the, the suffragettes um, money, I, I mentioned it um, in our conversation before the interview because I know that if I was in this class, that's all I would want to talk about. Um, so I was wondering if the students who are a major part of this exhibition, have they gravitated towards any specific examples of currency that you've talked about? The, the, it's it's interesting the variety of interests that students have. So I, we have you know I have I've, I've always had students who who are kind of fascinated by the story of Greek and Roman money. Um, but one of the one of the themes I think that students really find interesting is the question of trust trust in money, uh, which is foundational to understanding how money works in the world. As much as we've just talked about um, the authority of a sovereign to kind of create money. Money, at, at a very found, fundamental level, um, depends upon social trust, upon the trust that it, that it represents, measures, or even contains some notion of value. And for students, I think that question of trust is, is one thing that, that they find really fascinating. So for example, um, one of the objects we look at in the course is the money of the French Revolution and the American Revolution. We have examples of, of paper currency from both of these events. And in times of revolution, uh, the authority to, of the sovereign to kind of assign value or create money uh, often comes into question. And the, the, the basis of trust really gets revealed in these moments. So for example, the story of the French assignat 
uh, assignat, which was the, the currency of the French Revolution, the objects themselves contain all sorts of different um, efforts to try and convince the public that this mm. money is trustworthy. Um, mm. From initial attempts, they actually created the paper notes with images of coins on them so that people could trust that these paper notes were like money, like the money that they trusted. Um, all the way to various forms of, of counterfeiting measures or efforts to sign bills that gave them a sense of authenticity. So consistently in the course, I've had students gravitate to objects that kind of play with this question of trust. Certainly paper notes, um, but again, also thinking with, of, of terms of various objects that, that are trying to convince a, a community to kind of buy into the, to the trustworthiness of money. I think it's interesting the example of the French Revolution money. You know, trust has to be instilled, particularly when there's not sort of a portrait on the money um, to, to sort of put your trust in. There's not the image of the sovereign attached to the object itself, um, which I think is interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, when you have a dollar bill crumpled up in your back pocket, you don't think about the fact that that's a Gilbert Stuart on the front, um, who's a major, major figure in the foundation of American art. And mm. um, thinking about how the fact that we sort of blow past a lot of the artistic merit that's a part of um, these art objects and probably why we're having an exhibition on money in, a, in an art museum, for people who aren't used to looking at money for sort of its artistic or aesthetic Properties. What are some things that you think people should pay attention to as they look through the objects at this, in this exhibition? It's a great, a great question, and I, I, I want to encourage people to think of money as beautiful, mm -hmm. which is actually not something that we often do. As you say, it's kind of crumpled up in our pockets, and we don't look at it as something that's beautiful. And it's something that even in the course on the history of money, we, I constantly bring it up with students as a, as a, as a topic of conversation to say, hey in addition to all these stories of politics and society and culture that we can tell through money, sometimes it is actually really useful to just step back and admire the beauty of it. Um, like you said, a lot of money has, has been associated with well-known well artists, and certainly the making of, of, of money has always been uh, a rather impressive technical um, achievement of craft. Um, certainly coined money in the past, we have some beautiful examples of very detailed coined money um, from the ancient world that if you just step back from it and look at it on aesthetic grounds, it's, it's very beautiful. Um, I would say that for me, one of the things that I find most interesting about this exhibit and what I would encourage people to think about as they move through it is to really challenge our understanding of a, of a, of a kind of static history of money, as a, a history of money as any one thing. Um, we've tried to, through the course and through the exhibit, we've tried to provide opportunities for people to kind of think about um, the more varied and complicated history of money, um, its political meaning, its social meaning, its cultural meaning, in addition to just its kind of use as a, as a medium of exchange uh, in kind of economic terms. Um, and that, for me, is what makes the history of money so interesting, is the way you can tell stories about past societies um, that speak to exchange and value, but also speak to these broader questions of how societies are organized, how they change over time, um, how they see themselves in relation to power and authority and, and, and community. Um, so for me, that's kind of the, those are the questions that I hope get pro um, provoked a little bit in the exhibit, is kind of... Um, if. if visitors were to step away from the exhibit thinking, wow, 
I thought I understood what money was, <laughs> and now all of a sudden I see it as so much more. That would be a real, um, uh, really exciting thing. Well, thank you so much, Professor Fitzgibbon, um, and I hope everyone listening enjoys the exhibition. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art And. Many thanks to Professor Fitzgibbon for this conversation about the interconnections between art and currency, the histories of money course, and money matters, meaning, power, and change in the history of currency, on view from August 31st, 2019 to June 21st, 2020 at the Mount Holyoke College Art Museum. To learn more about the exhibition and the objects within, or to listen to more episodes of Art And, please visit our website at artmuseum.mtholyoke.edu. The music in this episode is by Chad Crouch via the Free Music Archive. Special thanks to the MH Cam's education staff, and thanks for listening.